why is it so hard to make a Jesus movie? And how does this relate to the larger question of how to reconcile faith and art? We discuss this and more with special guest Dallas Jenkins on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers. I am your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, Christian meme enthusiast. And with me, as always, is my criminally cool co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and uh, today I'm going to go stay on topic and say I'm a big Jesus lover. (laughs) Oh, oh, man. Gosh. Oh, play me that violin. Oh, gosh. All right. So today we have a very special guest. He is an American filmmaker, writer, director, and producer. He has directed such films as What If, starring Kevin Sorbo, and The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. He is best known as the showrunner of the new amazing smash hit TV series about the life of Jesus, The Frozen. Not The Frozen, gosh, wow, I screwed that up. The Chosen, (laughs) which became the largest crowdfunding media project of all time, with over 16,000 people donating over 10 million to the eight-episode first season. It is available to watch on the streaming service VidAngel and The Chosen app. He is the daring, the dashing, the distinguished Dallas Jenkins. Mr. Jenkins, welcome to the podcast. You better not cut out that part about the frozen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, now I can't. Ugh. Yeah, no, I, I intentionally was going to say something about it so you couldn't cut it out because I would have been excited to have been the showrunner for a show called The Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> That's next on your list. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, that lovely, if flawed, introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my, my, my pleasure. I, what I, what I uh, lack in accuracy, I make up it for in alliteration. Um, <laughs> yes. So, anyway. Um, it is no, so, our topic today, is we're talking about uh, versions of Jesus and how hard it is to make uh, movies about Jesus. It's no secret that faith-based films and faith's, films dealing with faith have had mixed receptions in our lifetime. Faith's films about Jesus have particularly been very divisive. The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese was beloved by film critics, but boycotted by many Christians due to its perceived portrayal of Jesus as sinful. The Bachelor of Christ, on the other hand, was beloved by many Christians and yet had a very mixed reception from critics due to its violence and perceived anti-Semitism. On this podcast, we've discussed at length the challenges people of faith have had integrating faith and art in hopes that they can make each other better. Your series, The Chosen, has been one of the few faith-based projects and depiction of Jesus that I've seen to get nearly universal acclaim. The most diehard Christians that I know who sniff out anything that could be construed as unorthodox love the show, and it also presently has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes from both Christian and secular critics. Dallas Jenkins. Jesus is an individual who is beloved across the world, whether you're a Christian, atheist, Muslim, Buddhist, Mormon, liberal, conservative, or my family's two pet cats. Wow. People, yes, yeah, yeah, they're very opinionated. Um, People who don't love Christians still love Jesus. So why is it so hard to tell stories about Jesus that have the same kind of universal appeal? And what did you want to bring to Jesus' story that made you say, after all the adaptations that have been done, that you had something to say that other filmmakers hadn't said before? Well, that's a great question, um, or a great two-part question. I, I, and I think they both parts of the question kind of answer themselves, which is the very fact that there have been so many 
faith-based, you know, Jesus films uh, is exactly why I did this one. Hmm. Um, they all seem to be the same when they are faithful. So you've got the Orthodox side where they're, they're faithful renditions of the Gospels. Uh, those are the ones I watched growing up, most famous of which is probably Jesus of Nazareth, the, the miniseries hmm. um, that was shown every year around Easter. Uh, many others, there's the Gospel of John, which has been shown all yep. around the world. There's the Jesus film. Most of them are first-by-verse reenactments of the gospel story. Right. And that actually is why I think it's difficult to tell the story of Jesus is because it tends to be all or nothing. Either you are going verse-by-verse verse and you're just simply putting the gospel to film and reenacting what happened, or you're doing something like what Martin Scorsese did with Passion of the Christ, where it's like, all right, let's mix things up. Let's let's look at an alternative universe. Let's, let's see what it's like, you know, or you see, you hear about plays, Jesus is the disciple, Jesus and the disciples, what if they were gay? Or I've seen, <laughs> I've seen different, I, I once saw a production of, it was actually a beautiful production um, called The Black Nativity. It was a live production where, what if uh, all of the participants in the Jesus story were black? And it's like, all of that is interesting, but there has rarely been a Jesus project that has been done by someone who loves Jesus and loves the Gospels and cares about biblical fidelity, but who also is willing to, and in fact eager to, explore a different perspective without challenging orthodoxy, without challenging the intention and character of Scripture. And where I believe we, what I believe we've done to kind of crack that code is to um, tell the same stories, but from a different perspective. And so then when we're, when we're exploring the backstories and, the, and, and, you know, filling in the gaps, as you will, that are in the Gospels, where the Gospels are so, you know, there's, you know, you go from story to story, there's no real, there, there, there's not much flow through them, there, there's not much backstory, there's not much historical and cultural context. They were written by people and to people who seem to have kind of some inside jokes, inside understandings of what was going on. Uh, they weren't written to be a TV show. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't much of an arc. Uh, you, you, right. you know, you're kind of introduced to this story as someone's life is radically transformed, but you don't know much at all about them before, so it doesn't have as much dramatic impact. Nor was that the intent. So I, I'm giving a long answer to your question, but our show is done by someone in myself who loves Scripture and loves Jesus, and who wants to kind of refresh the passion that people have for the Gospels without violating the character and intention of scripture. But I have the, the, the confidence, I, I, for lack of a better term, uh, to go ahead and, and explore what some artistic license, some backstory, some historical and cultural context that's not in scripture. And I don't believe that that's violating any rules. And not, there's, there hasn't been, for whatever reason, too many people or churches who have been willing to do that. And I'm not saying that makes me better. I'm just saying it's it's what's motivating me to do this. Yeah, it's something different that hasn't already been done. Yeah. Right. That is interesting um, to, to hear that answer. You know, I, I will self-admittedly say that I, for many, many years, uh, and, and still, I am 
I, I'm really not attracted to biblical films. And, you know, I, I, as a Christian, that's something that I've always kind of felt yeah. guilty for, to be completely yeah. honest. Sure. You know, I grew up on The Robe. I grew up on these great classics like the Ten Commandments. And I really, really enjoy them as a kid. But as I've grown older and I see these adaptations, pretty much exactly what you said tends to happen in films about um, Jesus or any kind of biblical story that happens. And uh, it's usually on one side, which is very interesting, um, but it's very fictional. It has nothing to do with the accuracy of the person of Christ we find in scripture. And so, you know, I will leave those films feeling a little miffed that um, this person I've given my life to and follow is misrepresented or just represented in a way that isn't true. So that, that's on the one side. And like you said, and on the other side, if I'm being completely honest, many films made by Christians about Jesus are just really boring. And it seems like, you know, what you said is kind of just a word for word remake of scripture, just kind of almost a, almost a play put to screen. There's no artistry, there's no beauty. And again, it, it's boring. It, it, it's not something that captures my imagination in the person of Christ and, and all of scripture. The reason, one, one of the main reasons I allow it to be um, uh, so influential in my life is because it does capture my heart and my mind. There's beauty there. There's narrative. It's something I want to be a part of. And for many films about Christ, about the Bible, they just don't capture the beauty of the narrative there. So I can't imagine how hard it must have been to, as an artist, want to bring your voice in to make it beautiful and creative and filled with personality while wanting to stay true to the scripture that you respect, obviously, um, and live by. So I'm wondering, as you wrote this, as you wrote the, uh, the story about Christ's life, um, how you balanced um, writing those fictional parts. That's kind of what I'm interested in, because it's easy, like you said, to just take scripture and put it up on, you know, put some people in some robes and videotape it. But to make it come alive, you have to show the personality of Jesus. You have to show him sad and him mad and him fun and him interesting. Um, but to do that, sometimes there are some artistic licenses you have to take. And I'm interested how you approached taking those artistic licenses and where you decided to insert, um, not fiction, but uh, filling in blanks, uh, let's say, how you did that. Was it something that provided you with fear? Was it something that you did um, uh, with nonchalantly that, you know, I can kind of take this and do what I want with it? Uh, and how did you decide what, what blanks to fill in and how to um, insert kind of that more interesting artistic aspect, knowing that um, it might not necessarily be found word for word in scripture. And how did that feel? And what was the decision process uh, like in, in writing and creating this? Yeah, I think there there was for sure respect and and a sense of responsibility that I felt. Uh, and that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a great weight um, on, on a big picture level when I think about the fact that I'm going to skip ahead for a second to present day, not to when I was writing it, because partially because I'm writing season two right now um, with my co-writers, but but skipping ahead to now where season one is out, it's been seen by millions of people all over the world, um, there and and millions of people are are eagerly awaiting season two, and that's a tremendous weight. That's a I, I feel a sense of responsibility because when I hear every day from people who are saying my relationship with Jesus has deepened because of this show, mm -hmm. or my son uh, who hates Christian stuff is now watching it with me because of this show. All of these things that have happened from season one, the logical conclusion is, okay, well, that should hopefully continue to happen. 
And therefore now I have a ton of, I have a ton of, uh, of responsibility here to deliver yeah. uh, for, for six more seasons and live up to the expectations that people have. And also to make sure I don't screw that up, that sense of re- that, that, that um, responsibility that I've been given by these viewers to not screw it up and, and make a, mis- a catastrophic mistake that, that maybe has the same resp- the same reaction in reverse of what they're having so far. So on a big picture level, I feel a sense of responsibility and weight. However, when I'm sitting down in front of the blank page, or when I'm getting the first drafts of the scripts from my co-writers and I'm, I'm, I'm working out the story, I really don't feel a lot of fear um, because mm-hmm. I genuinely, I, I don't think I have to apologize to anyone or explain to anyone my love for Jesus or my love for scripture. Um, this is my take on the gospels. Um, it's rooted in scripture. Um, it's an evangelical perspective that I believe is, is deep. Um, I'm not, I'm not a scholar or a theologian or a pastor, but I'm a Bible student. I was a Bible major in college. I've been a believer my entire life. I have a, I come from a, a line of strong believers and my father was an author whose book series is one of the best selling series of all time, which was also an interpretation of scripture done in a way to make it more, uh, maybe perhaps accessible to, to, to modern audiences. And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's a bit, Maybe it's a bit of uh, of comfort that I, maybe it's too comfortable. Maybe I'm too <laughs> too too good with it. Maybe your question is causing me to be more scared than I than I have been. <laughs> oh, I'm so um, sorry. No, no, no. But I'm just saying. I just go. I want to make a great show. Like, mm. I, and and my co-writer. I have two co-writers. One of whom is named Tyler, who has also been a believer his whole life, and um, but has has some. He 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 goes to an Anglican church as opposed to the more traditional church that he grew up in uh, he's drawn to the artistic side of Christianity uh, that motivates him. Uh, he, he's eager to kind of push the boundaries and explore the artistic boundaries of the stories. Uh, my other writer, Ryan, who hasn't been a believer his whole life and um, comes at it from a little bit more of an outsider objective perspective, even though he would, he is a believer in Jesus. Um, he's, his, his task is primarily just from, I, I want to make, th- this needs to be a great show. And, um, and then my task is to kind of balance it all and just make sure that while we are writing with total freedom to explore whatever we want, but I'm also making sure that we stay within the boundaries of plausibility. And that's the biggest word. Is this plausible? Is it plausible that Jesus mm-hmm. danced with his friends at a wedding and told jokes and, and even teased uh, his, his disciple Andrew yeah. by saying that he couldn't help him uh, dance better? Because even there's some things even Jesus cannot do. You know, um, <laughs> is it plausible that he that he cut his arm doing a lot of work uh, as a craftsman and had to dress his own wound? Is it plausible that he had to make a fire in episode three for himself and sweat while he was doing it? Is it plausible that he laughed? Is it plausible that he winked? Is it plausible that he uh, said the things that he says in episode in season one that aren't in scripture? And if it's plausible. Um, it, it, I'm the first line of defense for that. I, if I believe it's plausible and my, um, my biblical consultants, uh, I have a Catholic priest, a Messianic Jewish rabbi and an evangelical scholar who all wow. read our scripts and give me any potential red flags. Now it's clear I'm an evangelical. I, I'm not a Catholic. I'm, I'm, I'm not Jewish and I'm not, you know, Mormon or anything like that. So I, when I get feedback from anyone from those faith traditions, I still have veto power and they, they're still clear on the perspective of the show, but I want to know, are there any red flags that could unnecessarily offend someone? 
And occasionally I'll hear of something and go, you know what? I don't care. That's, I, I, I believe that this is plausible and true or, 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 or at least close to true. Um, uh, that's probably the wrong phrase to use, but I, I believe, you know, plausible or at least, um, you know, could be true. And if I believe that and feel confident before the Lord that I'm not violating the intentions or character of scripture or of Jesus, then I go with it. And, um, and I'm willing to take the slings and arrows that come with that. And every day I'm told by somebody around the world that I'm, <laughs> that I'm a blasphemer or that I'm, you know, living in sin or I'm screwing up the Bible or whatever it is. But I've just, I, I made that decision a couple of years ago. And once you make that decision, there's no real going back. I know so I, I, it's funny. I'll say this real quick. Some people have said, I've had a couple of comments like, can you please in future seasons, just stick to the scriptures and don't do anything. Extra. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it's a little late for that at this point, you know, like, <laughs> Uh, that, that, that ship has sailed. Um, and I make it very, very clear to everyone up front. This is not scripture. This is a show. Uh, this is not a replacement for scripture. I encourage you to read the gospels um, for, because uh, and your Bible has not changed since this show started. This is not, uh, this is not actual scripture. And um, that, that seems to, for 95% of the people who've tried to view it, uh, that seems to have been acceptable. And and uh, I can I can point to the scoreboard uh, for the most part when it comes to uh, the proof is in the pudding is that so many people from, from scholars to lay people feel like when they watch it, like it's Holy Spirit inspired. And um, I'm not going to claim that I'm divinely inspired by any means, but I do believe that when people are watching it and saying, this show brings me back to scripture, uh, that's, that's the right answer. Um, this isn't Joel Osteen on TV saying something that, uh, that is just kind of basic down the middle which is, you know, Joel Osteen, God bless him. I'm just saying, this isn't like a, a kind of down the middle, general modern day comment that could be perceived in multiple ways and doesn't necessarily drive people back to their Bible. Um, the fact that people are being driven back to the scriptures, I don't think can be considered a bad thing. Absolutely not. No, that I, I think that's really interesting to hear kind of the, the inner workings behind how this came to be. And I had no idea that you consult all these different um, figures from different practices that's really interesting in taking their input and I think that's a really great uh maybe uh, owed to accountability uh yeah. in, in, yeah. in creating art and in the one thing I will say that I commend you on is uh you know when, when creating art there is some bravery people have to take if they want it to be effective art and I think the one problem I've had with so much quote-unquote Christian art especially biblical art is that um, again, you, I hate to reuse this word, but it's boring and it doesn't bring out this beautiful, lively personality living Jesus. We kind of set Jesus apart from real life. He's a kind of a figure. He's abstract. Um, but Jesus was a man. He had a sense of humor and he lived and he ate and he breathed and he laughed. And so I think if we're, if you're going to make a movie about Jesus, that has to be a part of it. And other, if it's not, then you're not, it's not going to be compelling. And it's not going to actually draw anyone to the person of Jesus. Well, that's and my, hope that when people, let me say this real quick. So, yeah. and then I, I want you to continue, but I think that's my superpower is I genuinely don't care when <laughs> once I've made the decision, when I get the criticism, it doesn't, it doesn't, it genuinely doesn't impact me. So I, I've, I've been told no less than a thousand times that I'm a blasphemer or that I'm, um, you know, violating scripture. And I genuinely don't care that they're saying that because, <laughs> because I've already made the decision. I've already felt uh, very confident uh, with the Lord that, 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 I that he's uh, inspired me slash in, uh, allowed me to do this. 
Um, and if I thought it was wrong or I thought it was, uh, it was questionable, then I wouldn't do it. And so that decision has been made. And so, but, but that's a really important superpower to have when you're doing something Absolutely. like this. Yeah. Because I see people on social media all the time, they'll say something that they passionately believe. And then there's, then out of the hundred comments, even it, all it takes is like five of them for people to freak out and go, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't know. Uh, you know, I apologize if I offended anyone, I'll take it down. And I'm like, what do you, what, 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 I mean, I'm seeing that, I'm seeing that today in society with cancel culture for, for just Absolutely. to set, set off a, a topic for a second, the musical Hamilton, which is one of the greatest pieces of art of the last thousand years, the creator is like now apologizing out of the mm. blue because of the, the George Floyd, de Floyd death, which was a horrible tragedy, but it's causing people to uh, criticize things like Hamilton, which are extraordinarily progressive. And, yeah. and, Ham and, and, and Lin-Manuel Miranda is a proud, proud uh, liberal progressive activist. And now he's having to apologize for something that six months ago, everyone thought was beautiful and genius and progressive. And now they're starting to, to, to question. And it's like, well, dude, did you not believe in what you were doing? Like, why, why, why can't people just say, no, I believe in this and I'm, I stand for it. I'm proud of it. My mind hasn't changed in the last two months. My mind hasn't changed because of the minuscule amount of comments that I got criticizing me. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's a key superpower that's important for people to have is to genuinely, once you've made the decision, to not care when you get the criticism. And I think fear has driven a lot of faith-based art. They're fearful of their church not approving. They're fearful of the mm. fact that they, they represent an, an official denomination and they can't risk offending anybody. And uh, I think maybe the fact that I'm a free agent uh, allows me to be a little bit more uh, bold in, in the decisions that I'm making. Again, I'm not claiming any, I'm not claiming I'm better than anyone. I don't have an insight that no one else has. I'm just saying one of the things that I think has allowed me to do this show and allowed the show to have the reaction that it has is that I genuinely don't make decisions based on a fear of what someone's going to say. If, if God is happy and my wife is happy, <laughs> then, then I'm, uh, I'm pretty confident. That's, that's, the wife part is a very important piece. Um, what, one question I would like to sort of dive deeper into is sort of a, to, um, on a bigger scale, to sort of bring this to a, a bigger scale is um, – the, the issue of the fact that not only is this with Jesus movies, but sort of it seems in a faith-based art in general, that what you pointed out and is I'm very passionate about and Nathan's very passionate about, and I, I talked to a lot of people who are very passionate about this, this question, is that being able to be both creative and orthodox. And it, I, you know, I grew up, you know, I went, you know, and I had a lot of, you know, Christian artists and artistic friends sort of in, in, in college and through my life. And it seems like all the people who are extremely creative, not all of them, there's a solid number of people who are extremely creative, who very quickly, very, me, very quickly ended up, you know, swerving off out of orthodoxy. And then the people who ended up being able to um, stay orthodox and you stuck to orthodoxy or far less creative. And I'm wondering why that is, that this seems to be a very common phenomenon and what it, there is that we can do about it. Because again, like you seem to have been able to be able to, at least with this show and like throughout your career, be very creative and very orthodox. And so what do you think that you had that maybe enabled, that was given to you in the where you grew up or, or in just you had as a personality that enabled you to do that and how we can encourage that in, um, in other people, in other uh, Christian artists. Well, I think that evangelicals 
uh, uniquely, I think even more so than perhaps other faith traditions, are quite skeptical of imagination when it comes to uh, scripture and when it, uh, you know, when it comes to art. Uh, evangelicals tend to be more literal, uh, very word-based. I think Protestants are really good with words, um, you know, with, with preaching. Uh, when you go to, excuse me, when you go to an evangelical church, uh, the sermons are going to tend to be more interesting, more exciting to watch than when you go to certain other faith traditions and hear their sermons. Uh, on the other hand, when you, when you look at the art from some other faith traditions, it's significantly more beautiful, significantly more imaginative than uh, evangelical uh, art. And I think that's just, that's just a cultural dynamic. I think evangelicals are so scared of idolatry, so scared of art becoming a replacement for the importance of scripture, uh, art becoming a replacement for the words. Um, I think that that's just kind of a cultural thing that has been passed on through generations uh, in the evangelical world, which is it's a re the evangelical world, the Protestant world tends to be a response to some of the things about Catholicism that we don't like, which is, mm. oh, good, good you know, look at them. They're building essentially a Tower of Babel in an attempt to please God. And uh, that's not how you please God. You please God with humility. You please God with uh, scripture, with prayer. Um, and that's what we need to be focused on. And we don't encourage uh, our, our youth to pursue art as a, as, a, uh, as a practice. But then you look at people like, you know, Bono with U2, who's a Catholic, and he's creating beautiful music uh, and imaginative music that's not explicitly scriptural. And, uh, and I, think, I think his Catholicism actually informs a lot of that. Um, St. Ignatius talked about reading scripture with an imagination and letting dwelling on scripture and letting your imagination put you in that time and put you in that experience. And that for a lot of evangelicals sounds almost like a new age thing, or it sounds very mm. dangerous. We're relying on our own interpretation instead of God's interpretation. And that's dangerous. So I think that's the backdrop of what's led to a lot of this. Um, and the fact that myself and my co-writer, Tyler, my, he, he's a little bit more Catholic and Anglican in his approach to uh, church and in his approach to his faith than I am. But uh, I don't know. I think, I, I think that I'm at heart still kind of an evangelical. I'm still probably a little bit more cautious about letting my imagination run wild. But when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, 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 to artistic expressions of Jesus and of the gospels, I think I just was like, yeah, I've seen how they do it when they're faithful to orthodoxy and to scripture, and it's boring. So I'm going to try something different. And uh, yet, because I love scripture so much, I'm incapable of going outside of orthodoxy uh, and trying something, some new progressive uh, statement to be made. And I don't know if I can give you a solid answer for, for you know, why it's worked other than um, I just think it's one of those things like, you know it when you see it. And I think when people watch the show, they, they'll go, oh gosh, episode one, up until the very end has almost no scripture in it. And yet it feels clearly, I mean, I've heard the term um, anointed from a hundred different people independent of, them, of themselves, who, who are friends of mine or someone who just says, this show feels anointed. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, that's dangerous for me to say, but I'm going to say, look, that's, I, I can't explain to you why exactly it happened and why people feel okay watching something that's about Jesus, but it doesn't always uh, go doesn't always uh, include things from scripture. I just think when I'm writing and when I'm writing a scene or my co-writers are writing a scene that's not in scripture, I have an inherent, uh, I don't know, spirit check 
that makes sure that this doesn't feel like something Jesus wouldn't do. And it doesn't feel like something that Simon wouldn't do. It doesn't feel like something that scripture wouldn't uh, endorse. And I, perhaps I think there's a check in my spirit too, because I have a strong relationship with God that when I write something that feels like it's out of bounds, God kind of nudges me. Um, I'll give you a very quick story because I know that I'm giving you long answers and I don't want to ramble too long. But, um, <laughs> that was great. In episode one, the original version of episode one, which is primarily about Mary Magdalene, um, uh, I think we went too far. I think we, we portrayed Mary in a way that wasn't uh, necessarily plausible. It wasn't very fair to her legacy um, and probably incorporated a few things that, that were throughout history or more tradition rather than truth. And, um, and, and, and I, you know, I won't get into all the details of it, but we just, I, I think we went a little too far. Uh, I, at the time, I didn't necessarily know that. But when we submitted the scripts to my partners and a few other people, they all came back with slightly different versions of the same note, which is that they weren't mm. comfortable with our portrayal of Mary. And when I went to Israel around this time, and I was in Magdala, Mary's hometown, uh, I had a very, very strong spiritual experience. I mean, God pressed very strongly on my heart uh, that I better get his people right because this show was going to be the most thought of show when people uh, thought of their uh, versions or visions of who the, Jesus's people were. So for example, when you think of who Jesus is, you sometimes can have a picture in your mind from like the Passion of the Christ or some other Jesus projects that you've seen. There are very few images that will come to your mind when you try to think of his followers. Uh, there, there aren't too many kind of iconic representations in, in uh, throughout history of, uh, of movies. And I felt God impressing on my heart that The Chosen was going to be that for the majority of the world. Now, at the time, I didn't know if that was just my head talking or if that was God. <laughs> but I genuinely felt God pressing that on my heart of like, this is going to be the definitive look of my people, and I'm not going to let you screw it up. And I feel like God has proven faithful in that. Um, I feel like when I'm writing, uh, I... You know, I feel like I'm nudged back into plausibility if I start to stray. I feel like when my co-writers stray a little bit, I know it right away and I can go, yeah, nope, that doesn't quite line up. And then if I'm still a little bit off, uh, one of my consultants will point it out, just say, yeah, this doesn't feel right. And I'll go, you know what? You're right. It doesn't quite feel right. Um, so maybe it's just strictly a God thing that he's just not letting me go too far outside boundaries. But I think ultimately I have the kind of an inherent evangelical Bible student, conservative, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, glitch in my spirit that, that makes sure that I, um, that I don't stray too far. I love all the stuff you're saying. A lot of it's really fantastic. Um, I, you know, in, in thinking over a lot of the things you said about, you know, e even back to your previous comments about kind of be, being able to walk into something without fear. I think that's really good. And obviously it sounds like you have really great accountability from all these all these different perspectives of faith. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that's an admonition to a lot of young uh, filmmakers of faith out there is I, I do see a lot of fear in their filmmaking and artistic um, projects in general. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I do understand that. And I understand it both from a theological point of view that, you know, we, we want to be fearful when we're creating things about Christ or even just representing him. Um, and so I, I do understand that. And we also know it from a, a, a monetary point of view, you know, uh, in, in Hollywood, 
it is not uncommon now to be canceled for having uh, dissenting points of view, maybe, or just being a Christian and having some yeah. uh, views that align with Orthodox Christianity. So I would say that was an admonition, what you were saying to younger filmmakers to somewhat let go of some of that fear on both sides because when you create you do have to delve into these waters that are going to be mysterious and murky and a little iffy but if you want your art to be compelling you have to get over that a little bit and try to create something that actually has life in it um so i, I think that's interesting to hear the process of how this was made and i think it's also as you said it's probably been a huge blessing i'm assuming you can correct me if i'm wrong that this was a crowdfunding project where you have freedom to live into your artistic ideas about how things should go and what things should look like. Um, and obviously there has been, uh, well, there's been amazing response to it. You've also had, uh, you know, your, your critics, um, both probably theologically, although I haven't seen many artistically, um, which I imagine must be an interesting thing to do. But again, you must feel that freedom as someone who's, like you said, a free agent uh, in creating this um, to kind of create what you want. And, and I would say it's, you know, I heard a pastor years ago um, say that, you know, when he walks up and gives a sermon out of, you know, without preparing and it, and it really hits, people go, oh, I, I wish I could do that. Just walk up and give a sermon, uh, you know, with, with five minutes of preparation. <laughs> and he always says, no, the reason I was able to give a, a sermon without preparation is because I spent the last 30 years preparing. I've invested myself in scripture and my relationship with God so that I actually have something to say. It's always there. It didn't come out of a void. I might not have structured it um, like I do sometimes, but it came out of a place where I have spent many years in investing in my spiritual life uh, in my relationship with God so it sounds like what I hope uh, and what I what I understand you're saying is a lot of this comes out of you trusting that relationship with God that you have built and cultivated over many years um, and I and it's interesting to hear you actually talk about season one and episode one and portraying Mary Magdalene and how um, and how you you aren't satisfied or necessarily uh, you think it's a perfect depiction of this character, um, which is interesting to hear a filmmaker, uh, even with recent work, be willing to talk about uh, a mistake or flaw you made, but that was something that came uh, along with you actually being brave enough to step out and do it in the first place. Um, the one thing I'd be interested in, because I do think it's kind of a hot button issue, and you mentioned Hamilton, and you mentioned cancer culture on the whole, is- you real know, quick, real quick. Real quick, Nathan, I'm going to uh, yeah. interrupt you just for a second because Go for it. I wanted to be clear because I, I think I probably wasn't in my initial answer. The, the mistake that we made with Mary Magdalene was in that first script and it ended up getting corrected oh, because, okay. yeah, no, which, but, but I'm so glad you said it because it, it gives me a chance to kind of complete that story, which is that having those people around me and having that experience yeah. that I did in Israel made me be made me be able to go okay i'm not going to get too far out of bounds here god's not going to let me uh mm. and so i was we were able to make those corrections so that actually now that the show is out there the final version of the script and the final version of episode one i actually am pleased with uh, and i do believe we did a, a a plausible portrayal and it has had a significant spiritual and emotional impact on people because we listened you know to to mm to the, the, the corrections that God was giving. So I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you said it because uh, it gave me an opportunity to clarify, but I just wanted to, to say that real quick. Absolutely. 
No, thank you for for uh, clarifying that. That that's really wonderful to hear. And again, that's accountability and you just kind of listening to God's voice in your work while still attempting to be artistic and how that paid off. So I think that's a really wonderful thing. Um, and on that, actually, I am an actor, and so it, it's interesting to me to watch a lot of things that have been happening in culture recently, and I'm, and I'm still kind of making sense of all of them. I don't exactly have a completely formed opinion on them. You know, there was a recent um, uh, tweet or, or Facebook or, or a statement from a, a popular figure talking about how all of the... Um, the Renaissance art that depicted a white Jesus is inherently racist. And that comes on the heels of the past years when people um, have said, you know, you can't have this kind of person playing that kind of person because they're not, they're not that person in real life. And so it, it's left a lot of people kind of wondering, so who can play what roles? And I was interested, you know, and there obviously in many Christian films there have been white Jesuses. Um, and I haven't ultimately thought about that in any substantive kind of way. Um, you know, I do, I do prefer to see Jesus as he was, at least as closely as we can get um, in our depictions, not knowing exactly um, what the reality was. But I'm interested in the casting process. What was your impetus for hiring um, real Middle Eastern people to play these leads? Um, and did you feel any pressure from kind of the modern world that's saying you have to have this kind of person play this kind of thing, that the actor actually has to be this or that? I was interested. I, I really love your Jesus. I really, I think he captures so yeah, much of the, same. on the artistic sense, the personality and the, the warmth and the strength that Jesus holds, at least the Jesus I know in scripture. But it was also interesting that he is, from, from what I know, is really Middle Eastern um, to some degree. And... I'm wondering kind of where did that, where did the whole cultural pressure to cast a person, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a Middle Eastern person for a Middle Eastern part. And there's a lot of that going around now. What, what are your thoughts on that? And how did that play into when you cast this? Yeah, I don't, again, I, I, I genuinely don't care about cultural <laughs> pressures. Um, very few of my decisions are based on, on that at all. So um, that, that, that wasn't a factor. But in, 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 a lot of the times uh, when, when someone says you should have X person or X type of person play this type of role uh, because it's, it matches how they were, I think that's actually a legitimate thing to say. I mean, I, mm. uh, I, I'm pursuing authenticity. The number, I think probably our number one brand description for The Chosen is authenticity. And that's what most people say when they watch it. That's what most people say when they see our behind the scenes videos. Uh, it feels authentic. It feels human. It feels raw. It feels real. Well, a show is better the more authentic it is, the more you can place people into the context of, of what you're actually filming. And it would, it's just not authentic to have a white Jesus. Um, it's also not authentic to have a black, you know, an all black Jesus. Um, Jesus was likely uh, dark skinned or at least olive skinned in some way. They had a range of skin tones, uh, just like they do today uh, within the Middle East. And so I wanted to have as many actors as I could possibly find who were ethnic looking. Mm. And, uh, and, and then that's why I also gave them all um, Middle Eastern accents uh, because we weren't going to have them speak Aramaic or Hebrew or um, Greek, you know, that some of the languages of the time uh, that, that we felt like that would have been too disconnected to the audience. But I think giving them American accents would have kind of subconsciously taken away from the authenticity. And so having them, having them as much as possible look like uh, the, who, you know, what they would have looked like back then and sound like what they would have sounded like back then, even though we're having them speak English, 
as authentic as we could get, I felt like that was going to help the show and make the show more relatable, make the show more immediate, more, more, uh, more intimate. And uh, so that, that's, that's what was, was behind that decision. I genuinely couldn't care less about the, the you know, cultural <laughs> criticism or cancer culture or anything like that. Um, and in fact, I, I, I've gotten the criticism anyway. I mean, you still, I still have, <laughs> of course, of any, course. you know, I, I, there's a, there's a group called the black Hebrew Israelites, I believe who on almost every post we do, there's several of them who are doing these all caps, you know, messages about how racist we are. Um, and then I've even heard from someone who said, uh, Jesus was, and the disciples were too dark. They were actually white back then. And they were like, I mean, I, the, which, is, which is of course ludicrous, but the, the criticism is going to come no matter what. You so, can't let that be a driving factor. The fear, so yeah, like you, you cannot let that be a driving factor, especially if you're hoping to do six or seven seasons of a Jesus show. If you care what criticism you're going to get, uh, you really are in the wrong business because uh, I'm doing a show about the stories of Jesus that is being watched by Catholics, Jews, Mormons, evangelicals, uh, and everything in between. And someone's going to get offended by something at all times. And uh, totally. that's just, that's just got to be part of the deal. I will push back just a little bit. And Joseph, I want to hear your thoughts too. I keep on uh, taking over. But on, on one hand, I totally agree with you. I definitely think the mob, be it on Twitter or be it on Scribe, wh whatever it is, a scroll, you know, throughout history, we have seen that the mob uh, rarely gets things right. And especially when it comes to art, they ought not to be listened to because I, I think they are um, at the whims of whatever culture says. So I think to listen to those as an artist is a mistake. So do what you think is right. But I do think um, at the heart of it, uh, there is some importance in, uh, especially in, in Jesus, in casting somewhat authentically. Uh, and, and I was glad to see that in many ways you have, uh, and I say this not because uh, of any uh, cultural influence. I say this because I think Jesus chose a very specific time period. He chose a very specific um, race, uh, culture, and place to um, to be and to live and to reveal himself as God. And I don't think those things were accidents. And I do think that they are important to the narrative and story and world of Jesus. So while I, I agree with you that no, the mob cannot be um, the thing that dictates our artistic, our artistic choices, I do think that there is things about stories, especially historical and especially biblical, that do need to take into account when we're casting and when we're writing these things. Because I do think that historical and, uh, and place yeah. and culture are really valuable. And, and it seems like those are important to you, but I would uh, I, yeah, no, say- I, the, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm cutting you off, but I, I would agree with you that that's, and that's why I did it is because totally. I, was, I was just making the point I did it because I think it's important to be authentic, not because uh, the Twitterverse is going to criticize me if I'm not. Um, <laughs> Shoot, we agree. I keep on wanting yeah. to disagree with something. But Gosh, yeah, start it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, find disagree on. we'll find something we disagree on. I, I'll, 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 we'll find it. Um, but I will, say, I will say that, like, for example, the character of Matthew is played by Paris Patel, who is Indian and not Middle Eastern, but he looks ethnic. And so therefore I, I go, he's a brilliant actor. He looks ethnic. Uh, most people aren't going to be thinking, well, that's a different kind of ethnic or that's the wrong kind of ethnic. Um, he fits right into it. And so I think that I'm, I'm not going to go, well, because he's not specifically from Israel, therefore sure. uh, it's wrong. So we're trying as best we can because part, part of the deal is when you're casting, it's hard enough to find good actors of any color. Um, I mean, even if you... <laughs> yes. the, 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 the majority of actors in Hollywood, just like the majority of people in the United States are white. And even then it's hard to find 
great actors or actors who are perfect for the part. So when you start narrowing your focus towards ethnicity, age, um, all of that, it, it, it becomes even harder. So we're doing the best that we can. Um, but uh, I, think, I think people have appreciated about the show the level of authenticity that we're pursuing. There definitely is a fine line, and I'm just happy you didn't have uh, British Jesus. So right. that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Joseph. That's season two. That's season two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I will say one of the things I think is really interesting here, I really appreciate. Um, one thing that I've heard over and over again here is that you love Jesus and love the scriptures, and you did what you wanted to do. And when we're talking about the issue of trying to balance orthodoxy and creativity, one of the things it seems like we tend to talk about is that somehow orthodoxy and creativity are against each other. There's like the art that you should create, mm. what you should do, and the art that you want to do. And that implies that your heart is not with orthodoxy, is not with the traditional truths of the Christian faith. And... It shouldn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And when your heart actually is um, after, um, if you, you write about what you love and what you fear. And if you do love the scriptures and Orthodox Christian, you know, the Orthodox Christian world that is about, then by doing what you want and what you do think is beautiful, you do uh, make something that is Orthodox. And so I guess the question one of the things I would think about is like, okay, if we, because one of the reasons that, you know, evangelicals fear and uh, many conservatives or Christians fear the creativity is how many times that we do see people's like, okay, people are starting to get creative and they start moving towards uh, heresy and away from orthodoxy. Maybe there's sort of, there are a couple of questions. Maybe, you know, the, the world is, it's, it's picture of what to love um, is, is just appears more beautiful. And so the question then is, okay, we need to do a better job of making orthodoxy seem beautiful. Or maybe the question is, and you have been sort of alluding to this, is that we're stifling the people who love orthodoxy from being creative because they think mm. in, order, in order to be orthodox, they can't be creative. And if we didn't do that, then the, we would see far more orthodox people being creative. I don't know if that is the answer to it, but I think that your thoughts on this and what you've been, you got, you've been talking about for the past uh, while has prompted me to think maybe that is the answer or the direction of an answer. Also, well, you have to, you, you also, have to go also, ahead. Also see one more thing that you said, um, and then I'll let you uh, wrap us up and close us out before we get to our, uh, our blessings and curses segment is that accountability is actually having people in your life that are, orthodox who that when you are being creative um can say um well maybe not this um you know i do wish somebody in um uh the director a writer who did uh, bruce almighty somebody had told him to not do a magic god created orgasm uh during the story and told them that no that's not that's going to turn a lot of people off from your story maybe don't do that uh in in there um so that aspect the fact that you are so clear to have accountability and people checking you um, maybe that's an answer too, is just making sure that we're in Christian community in that way. Um, so yeah, you, you, you respond to that, push back on that, whatever, and uh, sort of uh, wrap us up uh, before we uh, move on. Yeah, well, I think, I think accountability is important. And I think personal accountability, community is important. The problem is, and I think what has caused people to be more fearful, is that I think we have a skewed version in the evangelical world of what community really looks like. Hmm. Uh, every time someone does something, that someone else 
feels is outside of orthodoxy that someone else then feels compelled, even though they don't know the person, even though they've never met the person, even though they don't know their heart, to blog, to do a video post, mm -hmm. to write some big detailed critique saying, uh-oh, look at what this person just did. Or they, you know, we have these discernment bloggers, uh, <laughs> some of which I, I like and I, I mean, I, I respect and, and I think they have some role uh, for sure. But um, when, they're, when they consider it to be their job to expose all the, the, the wolves that are in sheep's clothing, and they consider that that's their mission in life, they do work too hard to find uh, demons around every corner and wolves around every corner. And I have seen uh, critic critiques of The Chosen, where, in fact, there was one that was written by a woman who, who specifically told me after I responded to her, she told me, look, I'm, I was way more positive about this show than I am about most things. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, she, and but she, she pointed out a few things that she didn't like. And in the article, she even said, you know, it's clear he was doing this because he wanted to appease X crowd or, and I, I don't mind being critiqued, but it made me respond. And I sent her an email and I said, listen, I don't mind if you critique the show. I don't mind if you don't like it, but now you're assuming motive. And now you're assuming that I did this because I wanted to please someone or whatever it was. And that is absolutely false. And now you've just written something that went beyond just opinion and beyond just kind of an objective analysis for the sake of your readers to now you're making it more personal. And she actually apologized and, and said wow. she was willing to post my response to it. But that, that instinct is very, very common and it does a lot of damage and people ex uh, excuse it and justify it in the name of discernment and we're called to call out wolves and we're called to be um, uh, gentle as, uh, wise as serpents, but gentle as doves and, and they, leave, they leave out the, the gentle part. Mm -hmm. And you've got, the, you've got uh, organizations and blogs and uh, YouTube channels that just sit there and they're just watching, looking for something to, to go wrong. And I'll get comments from people who go, I love the show, loved all eight episodes, but I need to tell you in episode five, there was this <laughs> moment where Jesus said this and I didn't like that. And I'm like, so what, what, what is happening in your life where you feel the need to publicly uh, criticize someone you don't even know for 20 seconds out of an eight episode uh, season? And that is what I think causes people to go, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the trolls. I don't want to deal with the criticism. Um, and we tend to eat our own. Um, mm -hmm. And I kind of go, you know, in the church. Yeah. yeah. And I go, you know what, um, you know what, and I don't even mean this in a snarky way, make your own show, like yeah. go ahead and you raise $10 million and you, um, <laughs> Maybe uh, a little snarky. Take, take, <laughs> And well, that's maybe, a good thing on this podcast. Sure, yeah. There's a there's a smidge of snark, but it's but it's but it's also genuine, which is like totally. I don't look at so I don't go look at the Last Temptation of Christ, which I got to see in advance. Uh, I actually got to, a chance to see it in Mel Gibson's office with a few other people before it came out, and um, I remember watching it. And there were a couple couple things in there that I thought, oh, I wouldn't have done that. It wouldn't have even crossed my mind to go, hey, Mel, just so you know, um, I personally wouldn't have done this and I don't really like that you did it. And I'm like, dude, the guy raised his own money and made his own movie and is putting himself out there and it's his, his uh, form of art. And if I don't like it, I don't have to watch it. And if there's a part of it I don't like, then I can maybe fast forward through that next time around, or I can just sit back and enjoy the movie and get out of it what I can. Or you can but go that, make your own movie about Jesus. Oh, you know it. what? I'm going to make an eight-episode show in season <laughs> one. I'm gonna um, yeah. 
but, well, but that's, that's, and that's what I've done when we talk about these other Jesus shows and other Jesus movies that we're not maybe big fans of. I don't go on Facebook and start criticizing them. I went and made my own. And not everyone can do that. But if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't criticize the little bits and pieces that you don't like of the ones that did take the time and the effort and the resources to do it themselves. Well, as a person who loves to be critic, I, I certainly do endorse uh, uh, some criticism, but I do think that you're right. We have gone... Uh, we, we've often gone too far where uh, uh, Christians are often engaged in sort of some of the same uh, uh, overzealous social media cancel culture that we often uh, de, uh, say that we dislike. Um, well, this is an amazing, amazing interview. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, now we're going to go on to um, praises. Uh, no, excuse me. I have this a whole thing. Blesses and curses. Ah, I, I do so much of that, uh, that uh, two things <laughs> thing in my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so blesses and curses of the week, um, where we found a piece of art that we want to say, yes, we love this or we hate this. We bless it or curse it. Um, so we always give uh, the uh, guest the chance to go first. Uh, do you have any um, uh, pieces of art uh, possibly doing, to do with uh, on theme Jesus movies or things that you want to bless or curse? You are not obligated to do either, but you are welcome to do both. Well, uh I haven't seen anything Jesus related this week. Uh, if, if you want to get that specific, and in your um, life, it's fine. Yeah, um, this week I'll just say briefly again. I we mentioned it earlier. I my, my family and I watched the Hamilton uh, mm, performance yeah. on Disney Plus, and uh, we're we're huge, huge Hamilton freaks. But seeing it in that uh, with the original Broadway cast was extraordinary. And uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily always family friendly. Like it's not G rated, but it's. It's uh, probably more PG-13, but it is, it is truly something. Um, and it's, it's an inspiration for me as an artist, to, especially an artist telling a story from, from, uh, from a different time period and how he did it. Uh, I, I genuinely think it's one of the greatest pieces of art in the last hundred years. Um, but and when it comes to- People are not ethnically accurate in that either. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an understatement. But <laughs> it's- uh, That's but one it's, of its strengths. Yeah, but it because it's just interesting. It's just, it's yeah. just a unique spin on it. And I didn't find it to be- I didn't find it to be um, done in a way that was like insisting upon itself, like, hey, look how cool we can be. It just was a unique kind of way of looking at it. And I think it kind of told, I think it, it says to the viewer how five minutes into it, you're not even thinking about the race of the, of yeah. the actors anymore. And I think that in of, it, of itself says a lot. I think that's really interesting. Um, I would say my, my favorite Jesus project of all time is probably The Passion of the Christ. It was the first one that I saw that I felt was truly yeah. Um, a, a work of, of genuine yeah. art. Uh, there's, a, there's a Passion of Matthew uh, movie that was black and white done back in the 60s, I believe. Yep. That was pretty yep. interesting as well. Um, but The Passion of the Christ, to me, um, one of the things that I, the reasons that I talk about it uh, when I do interviews sometimes is because I think that the best parts of The Passion of the Christ are what The Chosen is kind of about, which is when people say, when you ask someone, what are your top three moments in The Passion of the Christ? Almost always, one of them will include the scene with Jesus and his mother, where he's made yeah. a, a, a table yep. and, she, and he teases her and he splashes water on her. And I tell people, the chosen is 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 like a collection of those kinds of moments. And then when we get to season six, which is likely when we're going to be covering the crucifixion, because Mel Gibson did the 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 torture part of of the crucifixion so explicitly well, there's not really a need for me to do that. Um, um. And it allows me to kind of bring my own unique perspective on it, which is where we're going to probably pursue like we do with most of the stories in season one and future seasons of the show, the emotional side um, mm. and the, 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 the crucifixion from different perspectives. And uh, I feel like Mel uh, with the passion of the Christ 
Um, if I tried to capture what he did, it's only going to look like a poor man's version of it. And so I can, I can now go to a different perspective uh, and a different take on it uh, because, of, because of what he did. Mm. Well, that's that. excellent. Um, very exciting. Dallas, Dallas is going to avoid um, the curse because he is a wise man and we are not. Um, <laughs> we are so. not wise people, and so we will not avoid curses. Um, but And we're going to really live in that cancel culture. Yeah. Um, but my, I think if I would have to give my blessing curse of staying on topic with the, um, uh, the, the biblical films, there was a film made a while ago, and it took a lot of artistic license, but it's one that I love showing to people because it really captures the personality and beauty and funniness and humanness and emotion of Jesus. And funny thing is it's not even live action, it's uh -huh. claymation. And it's one of my favorite biblical films of all time. It's called The Miracle Maker. And Ralph Fiennes plays the voice of Jesus and there's some other great talent in it. But if you get a chance, especially during Easter season, maybe next year, watch this. It's just beautiful. I think you and your family will love it. Um, and as far as a film, I'm going to uh, curse. It feels weird cursing a biblical film, but um, <laughs> but uh, Mary Magdalene, it was a film with yeah. Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara that came out recently. And, you know, I'm not going to curse it for the, you know, the, the, what most people would because it's heretical or I think what bothered me about it, obviously these are two fine actors and a great director. I think what bothered me about it is people who make films about Christ, who is the person I've essentially dedicated, well, not essentially, I've dedicated my life to, who don't care about him. And that comes through in the work. You know, when you are passionate about something, you love a subject, when you're interested in it, it's going to come through in your work. And Mary Magdalene, it wasn't even about the liberties they took, it seems, but maybe those liberties were taken out of someone who isn't in love with the story and the person of Christ. And so that has to be my curse um, uh, this week. Um, but, uh, but, I, but again, I'm gonna reiterate, please go watch um, Miracle Maker. Also, another one, another bless of mine, the greatest um, adaptation of any Jesus film, The Chosen. Of course, I got to remember <laughs> a little bit. So everyone, oh, please go watch The Chosen. It really gosh. is great. And we're really honored to have Dallas on today because it's a really wonderful series. It's both artistically and beautifully done uh, while remaining really faithful uh, to the scriptures made by someone who obviously really does love scripture and the person of Jesus. Well, um, you guys took both of my blesses, uh, which would have been uh, <laughs> passion, and, uh, passion and chosen. Um, I will give a shout out to uh, The Robe just because I really, oh, I so really good. did, I do love that movie. It's probably my favorite, you know, biblical movie of that era. I think it, it gets to me closer to um, what I wish Ben-Hur had been in a sense, about saying what, what was, how Jesus was impactful to people at that time, what he did offer. Um, and I really did like that. I will say also, you know, jumping off your point about Mary Magdalene, you know, one of the things, it, Mary Magdalene, one of the things that when I watched the shows that I realized I loved is exactly the opposite of what they did with Mary Magdalene, because they inserted Mary Magdalene into Jesus' story and had him tell her, there's nothing wrong with you. Everyone who says that there's something wrong with you, they're wrong. Whereas in the Bible, Jesus is always coming to people and saying, yeah, there's something wrong with you and I can help you with that. And he comes in and, and takes bad people and makes them good. Mm. And, and that's what you did when I saw your version of Jesus and the, and the, and the you know, disciples and particularly Mary Magdalene. He didn't come to people 
and say, you're all right just the way you are. He said, no, there's something wrong with you. Here, let me fix that. Um, and so when you did make up stuff, you made stuff up that's faithful to the what the Bible did, unlike the movie Mary Magdalene. I also say my curse, I will do as the last temptation of Christ. I had some, even Christians I know come to me and say, hey, no, last temptation of Christ is a bad reputation among Christians. Um, unwarrantedly, it's really a great film that shows the humanity of Jesus. And I watched it and I was like, no, it, it shows a sinful Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't show a human Jesus, it shows a sinful Jesus. And it, it shows a, a kind of Jesus that I, I, I wouldn't want to, a person, a human that I, I wouldn't want to be around and certainly wouldn't want to follow. Um, so I kind of, I kind of think that people were right. They maybe weren't right to boycott or, or go, you know, maybe some people went a little overboard with, with their hatred of it, but I think maybe people are right to criticize it. I don't think it was, I think that if you're making a movie about Jesus, it should somewhat resemble Jesus, just as I think if you're making a movie about Spider-Man or Deadpool or, uh, or any, or any, you know, book adaptation you like, it should sort of resemble the thing that you're saying, hey, let's make an adaptation of this. Um, at least the essential qualities. So I put that as my curse of the week also, all to just say, you know, man, it's so relieved to have something like The Chosen uh, uh, existing. For me personally, I love it. You don't have to love it, audience. You're wrong, but you don't have to love it. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm, it's, as, a, as a Christian growing up in this time, to see something that's at this close to what uh, I was been looking for for a long time is really very gratifying. So yes, people, uh, so tell Dallas Jenkins, time to plug. If people want to support a second season of Chosen or want uh, somehow to uh, engage in what you're doing or whatever project you're doing, where can people go? What would you like to plug or what would you people like people to do? Oh, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Um, to your point real quick about Mary Magdalene in, in episode one, the fr it's not a coincidence that the very first words that Jesus utters in the entire series are, that's not for you. Mm. Uh, and that, that was, that was intentional because um, Jesus makes us what we're not. And he, yes, uh, yes. he comes in and he says, what, what, what's, what's, what you've been in the past or what you've been tied to or what you've longed for in the past isn't actually what I have for you. So I have something for you so much better. So anyway, uh, to, to how people can watch it, uh, the best place by far is you just go to the app store, you look up The Chosen, it's easy to find. You download it, it's easy to download. You open it up, it's easy to open up. And then if you, want, <laughs> if you don't want to watch uh, a Jesus show on your phone, uh, I would I would agree with that. And so you... <laughs> Uh, you click a watch on TV button and it connects to any of your streaming devices. So Apple, Apple, you know, Apple TV, Fire Stick, Roku, uh, Chromecast, uh, HDMI cord, uh, whatever, you can connect it. You don't need a subscription. It doesn't cost anything. All eight episodes are totally free. You can be watching it within minutes of getting it uh, from the App Store. And uh, that's the best quality and the best way to watch it. And then if you like it and you want other people to be able to see it for free, uh, all over the world. It's in literally every country in the world right now. It's been translated in over 50 languages. And that's all because people are paying it forward. And you have the option to pay it forward, which not only helps people see it for free, but also helps finance future episodes and seasons. Cool. Very cool. How do you that's pay amazing. it forward? Uh, there's a pay it forward button. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Easy so enough. simple. And yeah. if you want to get a hold of us and tell us what you think about um, what we've said, whether you disagree or agree, please visit theoverthinkersjournal.com. Uh, you can find me, Nathan Clarkson, on any of the socials to search my name. You can also visit nathanclarkson.me. Joseph, uh, get us out of here and tell us how we can find you. Awesome. If you want to find me, I'm on all the socials as well. And I'm also, I have a website, josephholmestudios.com. Thank you all so much for your time, for listening. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about.